Greetings, Gente Puente! We are a community of Gente Puente, building bridges between God and His people and also between different cultures and languages. In today's program, Glen Mary Missioner Kathy O'Brien shares her experience of ministering with youth and young adults in a rural mission with about 75% Hispanic members. Si no tienes ninguna idea de lo que acabo de decir, no te preocupes. El podcast Gente Puente tiene episodios en inglés y otros en español. Hoy está en inglés. Si no eres bilingüe, todavía puedes leer la entrevista y ver todos los recursos de hoy en las notas del programa, que se encuentran en paticc.com diagonal S5. No quieres perder la entrevista con la misionera Kathy O'Brien, quien comparte su experiencia en la pastoral juvenil en una misión donde 75% de sus miembros son hispanos. I am Patty Gutierrez from Patty's Catholic Corner. We are a team with experience in ministry who provide Catholic translations from English to Spanish or Spanish to English. I am your host for these interviews. This podcast is for you if you are a leader in a Catholic ministry. You will hear interviews about the Hispanic Latino ministry best practices from all over the country to get practical ideas, strategies, and resources that can help you in your ministry. We will also receive encouragement from other ministers who understand all the joys and struggles that come with ministry. But before I start, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, the Glen Mary Home Missioners Vocations Office. You can find a link to their website, glenmary.org vocations, and all the resources mentioned in this episode today, as well as a summary of the episode in English and Spanish in the show notes page found at pattycc.com slash five. I also encourage you to join the conversation on Facebook, especially because next week's episode is all about Dia de Muertos, and I'd love to hear about ways that you have celebrated in your home or parish. Who knows, your idea might even be featured in next week's episode. Be sure to add some pictures of your altares too so we can get some ideas. Just look for Gente Puente on Facebook to find us and be part of our closed Facebook group. Today, as I'm sure you know, October 3rd marks the beginning of the Synod on Youth in Rome. The Catholic bishops from around the world are gathered with Pope Francis to discuss young people, the faith, and vocational discernment. And so this episode is focused on youth and young adult ministry. Some of you listening may be noticing demographic changes in your area, which have brought more and more Hispanic young people to your area or your parish. You may be wondering how to begin reaching out to this population or how to integrate them into your existing ministry or trying to discern the best way to support the Hispanic young people that have already been active in your parish for a while. No matter what stage you're in, I believe you can learn something from the interview you're about to hear. Especially for those of you who are not very familiar with Hispanic ministry in the United States, I would highly recommend getting Father Kenneth Davis's audiobook. It's called Hispanic Ministry and the Future of the Catholic Church. You can find a link in today's show notes at pattycc.com slash five, and it has an offer to try Audible and get two free audiobooks. 
Father Ken's audiobook is actually an audio course that is broken up into 25-minute segments, and it covers a broad range of topics about Hispanic ministry, like, for example, an introduction to the culture and the history of Hispanic Catholics in the U.S. Father Davis is a quote-unquote white guy, as he says, who encourages other well-intentioned Catholics, who are also white guys and gals like me, who love the church, to think long and hard about the blind spot that we sometimes have for Hispanics with regard to our ministries. Describing what some have called a statistical tsunami in the Catholic Church of the explosive growth of Hispanic youth and young adults, he says, We know about all these Hispanics. We're just not doing anything about it. To me, it's like saying, I'm on the Hindenburg airship, and I know people are playing with firecrackers, but I'm not doing anything about it. So if you're listening and you want to do something about it, thank you. You rock. And like Kathy O'Brien says in this interview, do not be afraid. Jump in there. In this interview, Kathy shares about her experience growing an integrated youth group, preparing young adult Hispanics for confirmation, forming youth and young adult leaders, involving the entire parish in youth ministry, and much more. Now, let's listen to my conversation with Kathy. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you for being on the Gente Puente podcast. Thank you. It's good to be with you. All right. I'm going to start us off with a little prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we are so grateful for all the many blessings that you've given us, especially for the gift of serving in your church. We know that we are not perfect, and so we thank you for your mercy and for choosing to work through our broken humanity. Lord Jesus, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. Pour out your Spirit as we strive to be gente puente, uniting the body of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Kathy, for taking time to be with us. I know you are very busy in your ministry role. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about you and your ministry, your vocation, and how you're connected to Hispanic ministry? Um, I'm, I began ministry 43 years ago with Glen Mary. Glen Mary is a mission society that does work in the rural missions of the United States. I think it's kind of funny, and it just went through my head that when I was in eighth grade, I put into my the class prophecy, which I wrote, that I would be a Peace Corps worker in Argentina, which would have meant wow. I, I would have had to learn some Spanish. But in Glen Mary, you didn't usually have to learn Spanish when I joined. I didn't become involved in Hispanic ministry until 2004. Yeah, right before that, I went to both Mock in San Antonio and for a couple of months to Mexico to study Spanish. And my the Glen Mary Lay Missioners work with the Glen Mary Fathers. Uh, we're a secular institute. We have vows uh, and uh, have done that since 1957. Wow. Tell us a little more about that vocation. I don't think people probably know much about that. No, they don't because they're not very common in the United States, and ours was just so small we never grew much. Um, but secular institutes are lay people who uh, are 
living the consecrated life, um, but as lay men and women in the uh, world, coming from the world and not coming from a convent. But sisters, so many sisters have changed so much that you can't hardly tell the difference these days. (laughs) Interesting. But ours were founded to be lay people working in the world and able to do things sometimes that back in the 50s, sisters could not do. Oh, I see. Makes sense. So tell us, what's your role now? I'm the pastoral associate for a new Glen Mary mission in Irwin, Tennessee. Uh, We just started in 2011 and built our first building this year. Uh, We're a small mission, and the mission is probably 75% Hispanic and 25% retired. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a mix. (laughs) Yeah. It's working well, though. We're a bilingual community. Um, Some people speak only English, some only Spanish, but the majority are Hispanics who've been here a while and are bilingual. And, of course, all the kids are bilingual. Okay. So there's a pretty big Hispanic population that's well-established in that area? Yeah, they started coming in in the 1960s migrant workers then. Now there are contract workers that come in, but many of the migrant workers settled here and raised their families. We're on second and third generation. Okay, well, I know you're going to share with us today a little bit about your success in Hispanic youth and young adult ministry. Can you share with me a little bit about that project, uh, the basic information about it? Well, youth ministry has always been my love. I was an English trained as an English teacher. I always worked with high school kids. And from the beginning in Glen Mary Missions, even when we had no Hispanics in our missions, uh, I worked with youth groups. Um, and then when I started working with Hispanic ministry, the group that most needed a lot of ministry were the youth in Arkansas, where I was, and then now here in Irwin. So I began youth groups. I got them involved in the diocesan level and even national level. Uh, And just the youth group was a way to reach out to the whole family and to get everybody in the parish involved in youth ministry. Mm -hmm. So the youth group has been kind of the center of the youth ministry? Yes, uh, the high school youth group. Uh, I started with four kids. We didn't have any buildings, uh, so they met in my living room, and I had two other adults there helping, uh, Anglos, um, but we had four Hispanic, two, two Anglo and two Hispanic teenagers that showed up, and they were the beginnings of the group in 2012. By 2013, we had about 10 kids, and we took a group of nine to the National Catholic um, Youth Conference, NCYC, Mm -hmm. and Uh um, that really got them revved up, and they became the missionaries, inviting others. So within the next year, we had 20-some kids in the group, and by the next year, 30. (laughs) Wow. So it sounds like one of the practical, concrete ideas for building the youth group is to get a small group of really dedicated kids that then can attract more kids. Would you say that's true? 
I would say that's definitely true. And we had top quality kids with those early groups, um, really top quality. Um, they were leaders in the high, local high school, the local sports, athletics, the stars of the soccer team that just started. And um, they were not afraid to go out and invite others to come and see. Yeah, what a great group. What are some other practical, concrete things that have helped you, maybe events or programs, retreats that you've used that other people could try? Um, in Arkansas, we use Buscada a lot. Buscada is the Hispanic equivalent to search, which is out of the Curcio moment, movement. And mm -hmm. um, Busca, our kids, I got them to Buscada, and they became leaders and peer ministers through Buscada. Um, here they don't, this diocese doesn't have Buscada, but they do have search and our kids have, in fact, we're going to be in our new building, which isn't all that big, but we are going to host the search for the deanery in November here. And some of our former youth members, the young adults and our youth will be leading that. Wow. Is that a program that a parish can do even if their diocese doesn't host that? I or, don't know that they can, but most dioceses okay. have search, I think. At least every diocese I've been in has uh, so some form of So if someone wanted to it. start, you'd have to start with looking or talking to your diocesan office about it? I think so, yeah. Okay. Because it is a definite structured program. It comes out of Hispanic uh, traditions because it, it comes from Curcio, which was in Spanish. Okay. So I'm wondering how you have kept an integrated youth group because you you still have Anglo and Hispanic youth together. Actually, right? I don't. No, I currently do oh, not okay. have any Anglos. <laughs> oh, gotcha. But just because people aged out of the, I mean, you don't have yeah, any kids we just in the had, of that age. We had one family and they aged out. They're all beyond college now. Okay. Well, let's say go back to the beginning then. How was it when it was an integrated group? What kind of strategies did you find worked best? Because like you said, there's um, in your parish, you've said that there is a mix of mm -hmm. English speaking, bilingual and only Spanish speaking. From the start, uh, St. Michael's mission here was bilingual. We have a bilingual service every Sunday, every mass, everything we do. We have a team of oh, wow. translators who translate father's homilies. Father does not speak Spanish, although he's getting a little braver. Um, <laughs> but they, they, we have a team of translators who translate the homily. Uh, and we have some readings done in English, some in Spanish. Uh, some prayers are done in both languages. Um, we go back and forth and it takes just a little longer, but it creates a community. Uh, mm -hmm. and so someone is interpreting as he gives the homily or no. after he gives the homily, they say it in, in the other language. After, after he gives it, they say it, it's harder the other way. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. they get, he, he manages to get his homilies written and out to the translators by midweek. So they have time to translate. Mm hmm. You mentioned that the youth group has been growing exponentially. What's something else that you feel like has contributed to that growth? 
the total involvement of the parish. Our Anglos in particular have been financially and otherwise extremely supportive. They see the kids up there reading and being Eucharistic ministers and doing everything in the church, and they just feel so proud of them. One of the kids is in the military right mm-hmm. now, and they write to him. And um, there's there's a good community sense. And, you know, like Sunday, we'll have a baby shower for four new mamas. And of course, they're all mm-hmm. Hispanic, <laughs> but the Anglo mm-hmm. ladies will be here with gifts. So um, we've created a when you start something new, it's easier to do that. I, the work, parish I worked with in Arkansas, it was a little more of a struggle bringing the Anglos and the Hispanics together because we had two separate masses, two separate communities, really. But we don't have mm-hmm. that here. We do everything together. Wow. And so that encourages the young people because there's the resources backing them? Mm-hmm. And they have no trouble selling. We're beginning as of yesterday, uh, selling tamales, getting tamale orders. We'll make 3,000 tamales and make $3,000. <laughs> tamales is our best seller. <laughs> that is a lot of tamales. Tell that, me how you do that logistically. How does that work? Well, we've done it different ways. We were in a house, so we did them in the basement where we had church. We did them at a at a restaurant, um, we did them at a restaurant um, that one of the families had for a while. Um, but we just do wherever we can. We have two masses now, so it's a little harder to do them at the parish center, but because people want them on the weekend, and we only have time to work on them on a Saturday. But um, mm. I have. But you take orders ahead of time and yeah. then mm-hmm. deliver all... them at mass or where do you deliver them? People can come by and pick them up or those who sold them deliver them. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's it's a really good fundraiser because nobody but his, but the Mexican ladies can make the tamales. We, everybody can <laughs> learn to make enchiladas or other things, but they don't easily learn to make Tamales. It takes a special technique, huh? Yeah, it's work. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah. What kind of advice would you have for other people who are seeing an increase in Hispanics in the area? Maybe they have a youth group already established and they want to figure out how to either integrate a youth group with the new Hispanic immigrants or begin some kind of youth ministry with the Hispanic immigrants. What kind of advice would you give them? Depends on what the Hispanic background is. It was very different in the two parishes I've had. These have been here long enough that we do everything in English. Um, And if we need to, we do in Spanish because there's no problem doing that. Um, But uh, in the other parish, they were, most of them were not born in the United States. So that was harder, getting them integrated with things. But here it's been very very rewarding, and the families are good families and strong in their faith, the core group of families, not all of them. And that's what I'm feeling now. Our group is down in numbers and down in enthusiasm because we've lost that family <laughs> As for a little while. There's more of them coming up, but right now they're not in high school age. And we're talking about a family that there were 11 siblings with kids. 
<laughs> so, oh, that's a lot. so they were the they were a good group to start with, uh, yeah. and they still. I mean, their parents are involved, and I'm having a youth ministry training for volunteers with youth ministry right now, doing a monthly course. And I have like 11, 12 for a small parish. That's an amazing number uh, of adults. What do you use for that training? I'm using some videos out of the Archdiocese of Atlanta on their website, plus the materials I'm trying to get. Is that the accompany program? Yes, yes. Okay, great. Uh, And then also all the materials that our diocese has. Our goal in Glen Mary is to get them as connected to the diocese as possible because these are Mm -hmm. small rural parishes and um, they need to know their Catholic church is bigger and there's more for them out there. So I don't do a lot of big programs in the parish. We take them to things in the diocese and deanery mm-hmm. and we've had yeah. two of our kids they've served on the bishop's advisory council the kids have and two of them have gotten the timothy award from the diocese so they they excel wherever they go we will continue with my interview with kathy in a moment but i want to share a little more about our sponsor the vocations office of the glen mary home missioners As Kathy mentioned, she is a Glen Mary lay missioner. The Home Missioners of America, better known as Glen Mary, is a community of priests, brothers, sisters, lay missioners, and volunteers serving in what they call Mission Land USA. Glen Mary is dedicated to establishing a Catholic presence in rural areas and small towns of the United States where the Catholic Church is not yet effectively present. Glen Mary serves in rural counties, where the Catholic population is less than 1%, and the poverty level is over twice the national average. Many of their missions include ministry with Hispanics. If you or someone you know are discerning a call to religious life, I highly recommend finding out more about Glen Mary. I worked closely with Glen Mary missioners while I was Diocesan Director of Hispanic Ministry in the Diocese of Owensboro, where at the time they had their formation house and a few parishes. They do incredible work in places where it's difficult for a mission diocese to sustain ministry. Glen Mary regularly hosts come-and-see mission trips for young men who are discerning their call to religious life. The next weekend is coming up October 19th through the 21st. For more information, visit Glen Mary's website, glenmary.org vocations. Now we continue the conversation with Kathy O'Brien. So in such a small rural area, how did you attract so many adult volunteers, do you think? Um, well, they're strong and wanting to, they were wanted a Catholic church here. The nearest Catholic churches are at least a half hour away um, and more. And so they wanted their own church in this community uh, and they want to do anything that'll make that happen. That's great. So people who were maybe already involved in a parish further away, and now they're excited to use their gifts close. Right, right. Like the family I mentioned, they would have gone to Mass in the parish north of us, and they would have been involved in the parish, but not as involved in like youth group or something that took extra time during the week because Mm -hmm. they're working. 
That's why we reached out to the young adults and we had a confirmation program because many of them had not been confirmed. Oh, tell me more about that. Um, We just discovered that there were about a dozen young adults who never had been confirmed because they, the tradition here in the Hispanic community is when you're 16, you go to work. And I mean a job, a full job Mm -hmm. and school and they, with that, they couldn't meet the requirements that the bigger parish up there had for confirmation. And so they were never confirmed. And our bishop was pushing for young adults who never got confirmed because it was a diocesan-wide problem to get confirmed. And we, we made it, had a meeting with them and did what we had to do to get them ready for confirmation. And some of them are Great. now helping with youth did the bishop come and do the confirmation, or did you do it with the Easter Vigil style? No, because they'd made their first communion and everything else. They were confirmed yeah. with the younger kids, some of them, and some of them. The bishop has an annual mass now on Pentecost, so some of them went to that mass and were confirmed there. Oh, so kind of a diocesan. That mass is for adults only. Oh, it's an adult confirmation mass. That's a great idea. What kind of program do you use for formation? Um, depend That one, it depended on the kid, on the young person. Um, I, I used some RCIA materials because they needed a review of their faith. Um, but it depended on the, the – I worked individually with them because their schedules wouldn't allow – a group meeting. Oh, wow. Okay. Was there some like home study involved and then they would come to talk yeah. about it with you? Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, in English or Spanish, depending on what they were most comfortable with. Yeah. Great. So I want to hear if you have any stories about ways that God has really shown up or a specific youth or young adult that you've seen without you know, I revealing their identity, but like a story that you could share with us about the success or the way God has moved through this ministry. Um, I'll, I'll take two and they, and they happen to both be boys, but um, I have one young man in Arkansas who is now working with the, I don't know the specific names of the group, but just before I left there, we did a program on immigration rights and, uh, I connected him with a group that was working for things for immigration. There was no DACA yet then. And uh, he became, he just fell in love with, this is what I want to do. And he finished college. I found someone who gave him ha- financial help through college because he was not born in the United States. So he couldn't receive in most any kind of aid. And he got his college education and wow. a business degree, and he's working for the coalition in Arkansas. On, he'd make a great interview for you. Um, uh, in Arkansas on uh, immigration rights, does programs around the country on DACA, has gone to Washington, D.C. to lobby. I mean, very, very involved, constantly wow. involved. That's great. Um, yeah, one of my previous guests about um, – Catholic schools enrollment and increasing uh, Hispanic enrollment. She was talking a lot about DACA too. So we definitely need a whole episode devoted just to DACA. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, who's the other and, one? 
The other one is a young man who is now um, in the Army Reserves getting trained there and getting finances for his college by doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, He he was a real leader all the way through his high school years here. He's one of them that got the Timothy Award, which is the highest award a diocese gives to a young person. The bishop kept his eye on him, wanted him for (laughs) vocations. So far, that's not his response, but um, he he is just an outstanding leader. His class, I think he was president and both vice president of his class the last two years at high school, star soccer player, um, but a kid that could get up there. He led search retreats, um, and he... he he just participated to the fullest in the parish life, in school life, in military life now, in college, um, and just as a model of what a young person should be. Of course, he's got excellent mom and dad. <laughs> that mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Yeah, uh, but I'm sure also his participation in the ministry helped him to have that confidence and learn mm-hmm. as a leader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He got he told me one day we were riding somewhere and he says, Miss Kathy, if you and father hadn't come, I'd have probably been a Methodist because there was no (laughs) Catholic presence in this community. And they were a lot of the kids were and still go to an after school program the Methodists have for Hispanic kids. Mm -hmm. And he had no experience of Catholicism and active Catholicism until he St. Michael's started here. So. Yeah, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I'm excited that you've been able to share so many concrete ideas and uh, strategies that I'm sure a lot of people are going to learn from and try themselves. What else is going on in your ministry right now? What are you excited about or what's a challenge that you're facing? Well, I think the challenge is that we don't have that quality of kids in our youth group right now, except we have potential. We have freshmen who just are starting in the youth group who we've taken as middle school kids to a program called Just Five Days. Um, It's a mission program out of Washington, the state of Washington, Catholic uh, CMD, whatever that's, Catholic Mission Development or something. If you look, look it up, Just Five Days, you'll find it. It was a week long program that they went to and they it was as fulfilling for them as NCYC was for our first group. And so they have a lot of enthusiasm now and uh, we have to build on that and keep them involved um, because they're also a group that has potential leadership. I don't know that they're quite as uh, involved in school, but maybe they will be once they get confident with the uh, involvement in the parish and the diocese. Mm Mm-hmm. So how can people find out more about you? Maybe if they want to support your mission or your ministry in some way or learn more about it, how can they find you? Uh, They can find me directly at St. Michael the Archangel Catholic Mission, about to be declared a parish Mm -hmm. um, in Irwin, Tennessee, or through glenmary.org. The Glenmary Magazine, The Challenge, has written several articles on our kids and on what we're doing so they could search there and find some information as well. 
Great. Thank you. So over the years of ministry and all the different places where you've been, can you share with us something that you've learned about how to balance your ministry and other aspects of your life or how you nurture your relationship with God throughout those years? You have to have to have to have a day off. (laughs) You have to uh, have time every day for prayer. Um, and that's part of my vocation in my life. Um, without that, I couldn't do any of what I do. Um, I, and you have to reach out and get others involved. You can't do it alone. Um, and my heart, I had a heart attack in May, and that oh, just no. emphasized uh, I'm not getting any younger, and I know <laughs> that. And I've got a plan for slowing down, but now... The people know, oh, oh, we can't ask Kathy to do all that stuff. We got to get involved. We got to do it. So my pastor said, pump it for all it's worth. <laughs> Not that we're suggesting that, but. <laughs> no, don't do that. If it happens, <laughs> take advantage. Oh, man. Thank you. But now do get people involved. Mm-hmm. The more support you have, whether it's financial support, just driving kids, whatever. Uh, filling out forms, whatever it is, if it, if people can help, it helps. And what I'm hearing from what you've shared is that you're not only asking people to help, but then you actually equip them to be able to do it well, which I think is an important right. piece we sometimes miss. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Could you close with a few words of encouragement? Maybe there's a minister out there who's just starting, getting their feet wet and not sure where all of this is going to go, or someone who's hit a wall and they're frustrated. Uh, Give them a little (laughs) bit of encouragement. And then if you would close us out in prayer for all of us who minister in the church, please. Well, I'll say, first of all, do not be afraid. Um, those are the words of the gospel, the words the popes have used, and so on. But, you know, for me at 54, learning Spanish was, oh my gosh, do I have to do this? <laughs> and uh, the people taught me, do not be afraid. Just get out there and communicate. Doesn't matter what the grammar is, doesn't matter what else. All we want is somebody that'll communicate with us. And so eventually the fear dropped and I was able to speak Spanish Um, and enough to do my work. Um, I don't want to ever say that I'm fluent because every once in a while I'm struggling for a word for, you know, like the other day, what is a gutter on the house? (laughs) (laughs) But whatever. Uh, So I'd say be not afraid. Um, Just get in there if you're, If language is a barrier, work to overcome it little by little. Um, I strongly recommend a long time uh, in-depth, you know, immersion experience. But uh, and don't be afraid if you're 50 or more. Uh, When you start to get 60, 70, it's pretty difficult. But don't be afraid otherwise. Oh, still don't be afraid if you're 60 or 70. No, don't be afraid, but learning language really does get harder. (laughs) So if you're listening and you're young, now is the time. Do it. Do it. (laughs) Nike, do it. Um, uh, I think that's, that's my big advice. Pray and do not be afraid. Thank you. Would you close us out in prayer? 
Dear Lord, we ask you to bless all those who work in Hispanic ministry, um, work with Latinos of any country or nation. Uh, there are many of them among us now, and we need to be reaching out to them. If we do not, others will, and we will lose some of the best energy and um, best spirituality that we could possibly have in the church today and the energy that involves families and uh, leads to the values that we believe as Catholics. Uh, please be with all those who minister to youth, to uh, those Spanish speakers in our nation, and uh, inspire them to vocations of service to their own people as well. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. It's been great to talk with you. Yeah, thank you. Good luck with your ministry. Thank you. What an inspiring interview. Kathy serves in a very unique mission, but I'm sure that all of us can say that we learned something from her experience. Here are some of my important takeaways. Number one, one of the best ways to build a ministry with Hispanics is relationship building. If you want to learn more about the Hispanic cultural differences and how they affect ministry, check out my ebook in the show notes. Kathy started out by focusing her energy on building relationships with a few youth and giving them a chance to encounter Christ and the broader church. Then those youth built relationships with other youth and invited them to join. Two, Hispanic youth and young adults are diverse in their language preferences. Seek out programs like Search and NCYC that offer their materials or tracks in English and Spanish to give all the youth a chance to have a common experience no matter what their language of preference. For links to these and other bilingual resources, check out the show notes page. Number three, involve the entire parish. Do not try to do everything yourself. Take the time to train other adults and youth leaders with programs such as a company, which is provided bilingually for free by the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Number four, involve youth and young adults in diocesan programs to help them see that there is a bigger church, especially those from small rural parishes. Five, create flexible confirmation programs, especially for adults who are Catholic but were never confirmed. Consider creating a diocesan confirmation celebration like they did in her diocese for all of these individuals. And lastly, number six, like Kathy says, do not be afraid. Just get in there. If language is a barrier, work to overcome it. In the show notes page, you will also find some links to resources for learning Spanish. And I can definitely second what Kathy said, that every effort that you make to connecting to Spanish-speaking Catholics will be appreciated, even if it's choppy and difficult in the beginning. When I was learning Spanish, the people around me were so patient and loving and helped to guide me. So jump in there. I hope you received a lot from this interview, too. If you want to donate towards her ministry at St. Michael's Mission, soon to be parish, you can find the link and all the resources mentioned in this episode in the program notes at pattycc.com slash five. 
Don't forget to join the Gente Puente Facebook group to be part of our growing family of Catholic leaders who share their experiences and encourage each other. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Gente Puente or simply look for Gente Puente on Facebook. In the next episode, we will hear from Father Carmelo Jimenez, who has been the pastor of predominantly indigenous parishes both in Chiapas, Mexico and here in western Kentucky. We will be discussing the traditions around the Day of the Dead, Dia de Muertos, and how to balance respect for popular piety and different cultural traditions with the official Catholic teachings and the meaning behind those traditions. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast Gente Puente on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening today. May God bless you and your ministry as Gente Puente.